I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey everybody, this episode once again brought to you by our friends at Giant Bicycles. Giantbicycles.com where they say shrink it and bake it? No way. Since 2008, Liv has offered bicycles designed for women by women utilizing a fit form and function development process for the best fit and performance possible. The giant products are now sold in more than 12,000 retail stores and in more than 80 countries worldwide. At its heart, Giant is motivated by a love of cycling and is committed to local markets everywhere, offering demos, events, ambassadors, and retailers dedicated to the spirit of cycling thank you giant for being a part of the show and thank you for doing what you do also we are sponsored by scratch labs scratchlabs.com if you have not found them yet get your butt over there brilliant hydration brilliant food brilliant recipes and ideas and a great culture that goes along with everything try out their new horchata recovery i think i said that right horchata also, big thanks to our friends over at fitforhope.com. If you haven't had a chance to check out Fit for Hope, go do it. It gives you motivation. It gets you out there. It gets you training. It gets you racing. And it gives you a great reason in which to do it. Hey, you guys, it's time for a big, long Pack Filler Podcast, two-part one. You know, consistency is the key. I said that at the last show, and so I'm going to say it at the beginning of every show because that's just, it's about consistency. And here we are. I am once again in this makeshift studio. We have more beers than we had last time, but that's because I'm buying. And we haven't drank them all, so don't don't panic anybody in the listening area. But uh, welcome back, Pat and the Pack Filler Podcast. I'm in this makeshift studio with uh, several people this time. Um, first and foremost, I have to return the fact that Paul Main is once here to my left. Uh, Paul, thanks for being here again. Thank you, Pat. Always enjoy it. And also, you have heard his voice probably more through telephone than I think you might have heard uh, via, via live presence. He does exist, and um, I think I've even got him on some footage of that mysterious Ben Bike Town footage that is coming out. It's coming out. I'm spending all day finalizing it and making sure it's going to be released. He just rolled his eyes at me. Let's welcome back Karsten Hagen. Hi. <laughs> Man of many words. We do have somebody on the line this time, and uh, I've, I've had the opportunity to talk to him in person, and we've had the t- opportunity to have him on the show before, but... Uh, you know him as a former U.S. Pro Champion. He is the owner of Bowen Sports Performance in Bend, Oregon, and he is also the race director of the upcoming rebirth of the Cascade Cycling Classic. Let's welcome back Bart Bowen. How are you, sir? 
I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. It sounds like you got you just got back from a ride. You got great weather. Uh, we are looking out the window at biblical th- rainstorms. Or were you just out in the rain too? Carson's shaking his head at me. No, we actually got a nice window this afternoon. That's why we got out. It's been kind of a little drizzly today, but we got a nice dry window, so we got lucky. I left work this afternoon, and I'm pretty sure I saw people gathering animals two by two. <laughs> I want to add something here, That's Pat. That's not good for yeah. I, I want to uh, thank you for inviting me into your home. And i got to say, this is the nicest trailer park I've been to <laughs> possibly ever. There's I only, like, I had to step over only a couple of syringes walking in you know, the door. Well, we had the lawn people come today. Oh, okay. So, okay. Uh, yeah, all right, all right. Bubbles? Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. cool. Thanks, right. Karsten, for making a great classic Spokane joke. Um you asshole. Um, let's let's start talking about bike racing. And before we get to, I do want to talk to you definitely in depth about the upcoming rebirth of Cascade, but uh, about U.S. racing. And and we had a big thing happen just yesterday. We were recording this on a what is it Thursday, and uh, the, obviously one of the bigger races in the states happened yesterday, the Amgen Tour California, and this is happening this week. And uh, there was a very interesting call made at the end of uh, yesterday's stage. I'm sure everybody in the room was aware of what was going on. Uh, Crashes, mechanicals, it sounded like TJ Van Garderen broke a chain and then uh, did a bike switch with Lachlan Morton. And then there was another crash disaster happening just outside of 3K remaining in the race. I emphasize just outside of 3K remaining in the race. And the uh, UCI crew decided that they were going to neutralize, or not neutralize, but call that all a same-time effect. Um, and there's been quite a bit of uproar, especially on social media, in terms of things and what that was about, and is it some form of favoritism. I would like to ask all three of you guys your thoughts on what's going on. Is it truly some form of favoritism? Is it just simply to help maintain the race and keep it exciting? Or something along those lines. Paul, go first. Well, <clears throat> yeah, the rule uh, clearly states inside three kilometers. Um, and that was definitely outside. Uh, the head official, at first I'm thinking, this looks really bad for U.S. cycling because obviously TJ's an American. And, oh, let's bend the rules. But the yeah. uh, head official is actually, I think, Flemish or, or French, one of the two. And so, <clears throat> anyway... That was a pure uh, UCI decision, which I remember back, must have been 07, 08, or 09 when Lightheimer won. There was a time where he crashed, I believe, and he was outside the time, you know, the cutoff for the time limit. And uh, so, and even then, that became a problem. But if they're going to make rules, they have to, you know, of course, I'd like to see TJ win, and, and it worked to his favor, but that's just not you got to lay the rules down. So I think, yeah, it just looks bad for the United States too, I think. Bart, have you experienced anything like this in this realm? And, I mean, as a as a former pro and as an upcoming race director, I mean, do these types of things cross your mind thinking, is there that gray area? Well, I think it's, it's easy to say, like, oh, they didn't follow the rules. But I, I do agree, like, usually, uh, obviously in a world tour um, race, the commissar is not from the country of the race, typically. So, you know, there's not a favoritism there. It's definitely a panel decision. And I think, you know, when you watch the coverage, it, it's outside the 3K. There's a lot of chaos going on whenever the second crash happens that impedes the possibility of TJ actually making it on. I'm not saying that he would have made it on. But I think they kind of look at the whole situation and go like, okay, in all fairness, like, okay, we're going to, you know, we're, we're making this justification based on the fact that there was, you know, it wasn't an ideal situation. Uh, and I know it's, it's racing and it happens, but there is a little bit of a gray area and a little bit of a judgment call there, I think, to actually keep the race exciting, you know, and, yeah. and also keep it kind of spectator people engaged. And I'm not saying that they did it for that reason, but it, it definitely, I think, uh, you know, second place was in that crash too. So you would have had a pretty big change in general classification. Um, and yeah, it was, it was not an ideal situation. And I think that I was surprised they made the ruling for, sh- by, for sure. 
but I can kind of understand it. I've been in situ- other races where it was definitely uh, they made it, you know, the time cut. They they like kept guys in because they they was gonna eliminate half the field, or yeah. or there was a crash situation and they made a call to say, you know what, that was unsafe. We're not gonna count the times. You know, what I mean, like you did the whole finish and everybody's like, oh, I won and I got all this time, and then they come back and go, no. We nullified it at 5K to go because it was just too dangerous. You know, so all those those things do happen. It's not unusual, I think, in cycling uh, for them to have some kind of official say, you know what, this is this is the best thing for the race. Yeah, and, and I think that's where they made. I think that's where they went. It almost seemed like is if it were anybody else, if it were somebody or the top two places, as you're saying, it probably wouldn't have been an issue. They probably wouldn't have done anything, and some of those guys would have right. been out, and it just. You know, I guess my first reaction, my gut reaction was like, oh, this is bullshit. They're just playing favorites. So what about the Giro and, and the first time trial? It wasn't a prologue. Uh, it was a time trial. And somebody got shelled. Somebody got disqualified right away because they were outside the time limit. Yeah. Not because they had a mechanical, not because anything weird happened, but just because they weren't fast enough. I think this is a really different situation. This is like a judge making a judgment call between what's what's you know, uh, what's, what's the rule book say and what's fair, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and I think that's the piece like when you look at it in a situation, say, okay, you say the crash doesn't happen. Does TJ get back on? Okay. Odds are maybe probably doesn't, but that would have been at least a cut and dry. Like, okay, you lost the time, but the crash happens and it kind of eliminates all chances of that. And it kind of like took out, I mean, like a, amount of guys that were actually gonna have maybe a shot at doing something and it's like now the race changes head over heels and you kind of i think lose maybe potential viewership you know on just a world tour race that's you know that's a big race on the calendar and um i don't know i think the judges probably considered that you know and said you know we need to keep the race uh, somewhat have some continuity to it and make a fair call, call here. Wow, so. I'm, it, it just it seems so weird to hear that, or just to consider that viewership and and you know not for lack of a better term you know popularity is something that these guys need to consider when you just think it's the rules. This is how bike racing goes. It should, you know I I guess I understand we should have that that gray area that wiggle room I guess when it comes to some of these things. Well, I think cycling. Well, needs... I mean, it would... go ahead, Bart. Yeah, well, I'm just saying, like, you know, like in the Tour de France, even in some of these, you know, where they have like a huge group that's well outside the time cut. You know, sometimes they're like, okay, you guys are done, and other times yeah. they realize, like, wow, we just lost 60 guys. You know, yeah. and maybe it was because of epic conditions or the wind or whatever, and they loud and go, you know what, we're going to give you guys that allowance of that two minutes that you missed it by, and we're going to keep the race rolling, right? And that's a judgment call, but they do it there for to preserve the 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 race, right? Because you go to the company to Champs-Élysées and there's only like 80 guys left. That's not very exciting. You know, <laughs> we need 150 guys out of the 200 to start to really make this a spectacle. And I hate to say it, but that's, that, that's part of it, right? It's the show. And, and the sponsors that are paying to be in the show, I mean, they need that too. So in order for the sport to survive, you have to think about all the repercussions of, of what happens when you eliminate all those guys. Yeah, and I also uh, I read a theory doing some of my research today about today, talking about the fact that this is an American-based race. We have wider roads naturally, and they're talking about a theory that maybe some of these guys, because they're not constantly fighting for position, that they are able to kind of hang out a little bit more because there's it's so much easier to move up, that you've got fresher legs coming into the finale of some of these not necessarily the hillier stages, but some of these flatter stages. And this could be complete bullshit, so please let me know if you guys think it is. But um, And then we've got a larger group of riders coming into the finale of some of these areas, which can lead to obviously more crashes. You've got people who wouldn't normally be up there being far more aggressive than they normally would. Yeah, I think that certainly is a potential, but it, it, I might be wrong here, but I think uh, where that crash happened in front of TJ, the roads were actually um, getting narrower. Yeah, and but what so, I'm saying is you had a larger field than you normally would, and then all of a sudden this narrow, narrower section took out a larger Yeah, that's a possibility. Uh, I know that Patrick Lefebvre was totally against the ruling because um, yeah. Askren would have been in the lead. And, uh, uh, yeah, 
Yeah, Wilfred Peters gave the commissaire an earful too. So, oh my God. Well, so and and no spoilers. I haven't even seen today's stage yet, so I don't even know what's going on. That's how poor, poorly prepared I am for this this episode. But uh, we'll have to see, you know, how things are going with that. Um, Bart, let's get to it. You you got a big big weekend coming up ahead of you. Well, not a week, five days coming up ahead of you pretty soon here. Um, the Cascade Cycling Classic is back after uh, how many year hi- hiatus? Just one, one one year off. Just the one year. And the longest running yep. one around. And um, how are things coming? And are you sleeping at night? <laughs> uh, things are coming along really good. Uh, we've got, you know, it's really exciting time right now because we're getting a lot of, uh, I don't know, the, just the pieces of the puzzle coming to the shop. And, you know, people, uh, obviously the volunteers getting excited. The crew is all getting dialed, you know, with their tasks. So, so that's exciting. You know, it's, it's like kind of a lot of the conceptual pieces that you have for so long um, actually coming to fruition. And, you know, race day is not that far away. And, and that first race is, is going to be a little bit nerve wracking, getting everybody off, off, you know, the start line. That will be a very, very happy moment for me. But uh, yeah, it's, it's exciting. I think, you know, we've had a lot of uh, you know, planning and a lot of ideas that have been talked about and and developed, and now it's time to kind of test the concepts and and, and see what happens at the end of the five days. It seems like it's been a, from my experience in Bend, that you've got obviously you, you can't throw a rock and hit somebody who probably doesn't have an opinion on how the race should be run or how things should be changed or altered. Um, are you working with a, a crew of people who've been doing it forever or is you got a lot of new blood in the system? We have a lot of new blood in the system, uh, which is great because a lot of it, they're excited. Uh, the flip side of that is, you know, there's been a lot of teaching, you know, and a lot of trying to educate people on what bike racing really is at this, at a pro level. Right. And what, you know, how does the rolling enclosure work? How to, how does the caravan, what are caravan stickers? I mean, you go down all the details, right. Which, um, fortunately I'm able to answer a lot of those questions, uh, pretty precisely, but you, you definitely are educating along the way and people are figuring it out. And I think some people are still a little bit like, I don't understand how that works until race day comes like, Oh wow, that's what you were talking <laughs> about, you know, but, uh, that's okay. It's, it's still exciting. The, the sponsors are excited and we have a lot of new elements that I think are, are really, you know, getting the community engaged, I would say. Hey, so I wanted to um, run through each stage with you and just get your commentary on it. And I'm going to preface this by saying, yeah. I mean, this is a whole new Cascade Classic <laughs> that I'm used to, and I'm really pleased with what I'm seeing. This is the first time I've actually run through the stages uh, just because I'm lazy and I, I got, you know, I'm trying not to think about bike racing at this stage in my life, but I'm well, looking the, at the one of the great things is sorry to interrupt Carson is, is that um, Paul is here and he's going to be headed over <laughs> to do the race. Right. <laughs> so I will try to provide the listeners with a little bit of a, a facial description of what Paul's reactions are to each individual <laughs> stage. And, and let me also add that the first time we talked about this, Carson, yeah, I, I told him about the stage. I don't know anything about, I haven't been to Ben since 1988 and I mentioned these areas. He's like, oh, God, you're going to die. Oh, he's, <laughs> in the words of Simon Yates, I was shitting myself. So, Well, so I had, I, when he, when, when Paul was talking about that, I actually hadn't read any of the stage previews yet. And now I have. And I'm going to modify my commentary a little bit, but he's still going to die. Let's just, let's be clear. <laughs> um, so stage one, I think this is incredibly inventive, um, you know going on Sizemore for a good portion of it. So for our listeners, Sizemore Road is a pretty well-maintained but gravel road. And um, I think that it's uh, uh, laudable that you guys are using this. Um, It speaks to kind of the direction that racing is going in general. Um, But did you, um, are you facing any challenges organizationally from scheduling the race on this course? Um. Well, we've had great cooperation from everyone, you know, county and such. I think they've all kind of looked at it like, oh, no problem. You guys can race that all you want. Um, I think that in my mind, this is probably one of the biggest testers out there that I've come up with. You know, I've, I've always 
thought that that uh, you know you don't have to always have a hill to be a selection. There can be obviously cobblestones, there can be gravel, there can be these things. But I've always thought that it has to be a selection point, a sector, right? And yeah. and hitting it multiple times or hitting multiple sectors adds to the excitement of the race. Um, so the idea with this first stage was to get something close to bend that could be, uh, you know, kind of a circuit slash road race, but have these sectors that would create excitement. And I think on paper, when you look at the profile and you read all about it, you're like, oh, that's not such a bad stage. I really think that this one is going to be, you know, your hands go up in the air and go, man, I had never expected that. Uh, and we're going to have some outcomes that we probably never expected. So, uh, you know, there's another section mock is another short section of gravel and they're both in really good condition. They're both really raceable, but you know, it's not like you can just kind of roll around in the field. You've got to be on your toes. You've got to hold position. And I, like I've said, is that every stage has that element where you have to be a racer. You've got to come prepared. There's one hairpin corner in particular on, on stage one that people are going to really have to be uh, cognizant of, like be careful of. And I think that more than anything is, is going to be uh, um, really exciting. Yeah, I think coming into that, you know, I kind of relate that to like coming into like a cobblestone climb where you've got to be in the front 10, right, yep. to have yep. the clean line. And if you're not, you're kind of putting your hands in somebody else, you know, putting your fate in somebody else's hands. So that's going to create the race right there, right? Everybody knows they're coming up size more. They've seen they're going to see that hill a few times. They're going to know the last time that if they can get over the top, they can win this race. Um, and it's not a particularly big hill, but mm -hmm. that's the type of, of urgency it puts in the field. Is is putting gravel in a – was it a conscious decision based upon where the sport is heading and the, the – I don't want to say the popularity of this style of, of terrain for racing? Or was it just always something that you thought, God, this would be a great race, gravel or not? Well, it's, it's kind of funny because, I mean, gravel obviously is, is, is the new thing, right? And I remember obviously back in the day training on gravel roads on my 23s, uh, multiple days, you know, uh, in New Mexico and other parts of the country. So I think as a road racer looking for roads and looking for, you know, kind of challenges, it's always been out there. Maybe it wasn't used in races very much, but, you know, obviously we're seeing it in tour. We're seeing it in a lot of other, you know, Strada Bianca having these are becoming challenges. And I think it's for the reason of that, like it makes for a good racing. Uh, and I don't believe really that I want to create like a gravel race where we're on gravel all day long. I wanted to create something that, okay, this is a sector where you got to really give it. And then maybe you recover on the pavement. And then maybe someone who's not so good on, on gravel takes off and tries to get some time. And so it creates a different type of, I think, uh, dynamic in the race. Uh, and that was really my main goal with this first one is to try to use that gravel to, to create something like that. Yeah, I'm going to predict that Sizemore is where that stage is decided. Yeah, I think you're right, for sure. Wow. And I'm actually, that's nice to hear in terms of not necessarily Sizemore, but hearing in terms of your, your justification for gravel. Because I'm sure there are some purists out there who are going to be going, you know, God, oh, another gravel fondo kind of a race, blah, blah, blah. And, and, yeah, we're going to get that. I think that's going to be a part of the sport. You're going to have the purists who don't want to change anything, which is incredibly ironic because the sport obviously started on gravel. Um, but yeah, but to be able to have, and I, I never thought about it from a director's and race organizer's perspective, where you have to think about sections of the race that decide what's going on, something that that causes that moment of excitement rather than just you know a, a beautiful spectator friendly course you have to have something in there that, that creates that drama it's a plot point if you will hey i'm ryan reynolds recently i asked mint mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when i asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts they said what the f are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact 
you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. And I think that's really important in racing. And I think if you, you know, I think the people that do the tour and the Giro, I mean, they they do think about these things. Is how does the race develop? You know, there's, you know, not every day is epic, but there is uh, a storyline to it, right? We want to see the sprinters do their thing. We want to see the climbers come to the forefront a little bit, but not too much. You know, they're, they're trying to, I think, choreograph that in some way. Uh, and I think the best races in the world, you know, that we watch, you know, like watch Flanders and you watch Roubaix and, you know, it's, it's, the course is pretty similar, right? But it's the, you can race on the same course on those, in those places day after day and you can have a different outcome with the same guys because it's a little bit of luck. It's a little bit of, Oh, I'm going to change my tactic to this. And that's what I like about these races that we try to set up is that, okay, like I said, on paper, it looks pretty cut and dry, but I think when you get out and you start racing in the circuit, you're going to be like, Oh wow. There's a lot of opportunity here. If I can, if I can see it. I've ridden Sizemore many, many times. And I know that, you know, if you pick the wrong line, you're going to be, you're going to be in a bad place. I mean, you've ridden Perry Roubaix at least once, right? Like, yeah. And yeah. You, you know, you know, you know, you got to pick. If you're yeah. if you're in the wrong part of the cobbles in the Arnberg Forest, you're in a bad place. I mean, I'm not going to begin to say that Sizemore Road is even close to that. <laughs> no, 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 it's not right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. but, but, but it, it adds an element, yep. you know, that we're looking to try to to, to develop. Yep. Is there a particular stage in the race that you see as the one of your favorites or the one you're most excited for? Is this the one, or is there something else along the pickings? You know, every day really has been reinvented, um, and for uh, a lot of different reasons in terms of how do you make the race um, exciting, every day and how do you, you know, have create racing, I guess that, that people have to really race. Uh, and I say that word a lot, but you know, there, there's a lot of times when we're rolling around the bunch and there's not a lot of racing going on. Um, and then it, we have to wait and wait and wait for that to develop. Uh, and then I think in the U S that we don't really have a lot of patience for that a lot of times. So, um, you know, every stage holds a little bit different challenge. And I think, this year, obviously, there's a lot of unknowns because this is a lot of new pieces. Um, and that's something that excites me, too, because I think there's going to be a lot of guys that come to Ben and go, oh, I know the Cascade. And they're going to get two days into it and go, this is not the same Cascade that I knew. So, and that, that to me, is great because it's like, uh, it's you know, you can go to, like, Tour of the Gila and they use the same courses year after year. And those are iconic because they don't really have a lot of roads to choose from and a lot of things to change. But that's okay because you kind of know what to expect, and they're so darn hard that you're, you're in it. I, and, I, you know, we have some of that here at Bend, but not all of it, right? So we have some flexibility, I think, to kind of keep the riders on their toes. I'd say that Stage 2 kind of embodies that because I bet you um, most of the field, at least in the pro men and pro women, have never ridden Twickenham before. And for people that live in Bend, this is an iconic ride. I've never seen it in a race before. Maybe it has been. Um, but it's, it's very interesting stage. It has gravel in it too. And no, no, no gravel. That's, this is one thing. Someone actually emailed me and thought there was gravel in the Twickenham loop. There's no gravel out there oh, they, now. They it's used all to paved. be, but yeah. okay, cool. Good. Yeah. It's all paved, but you know, you know, how it is Carson, right? It's climbing. I mean, yeah. this is a, and when I look at, I've raced all over the world and all of the U S and I'm like saying, this is a top 10 probably on the level of hardness road races that you're going to do all year. Agreed. Um, and maybe, ride, top, maybe top five, you know, it's going to, it doesn't stop until you cross the line. I mean, it just keeps coming at you. And if you're racing this, it's just like, you know, if you have good legs, you're loving it. The second your legs go away, you are just like, you can't wait for it to end. So, uh, 
it, it's going to be another one of those days where you're like, oh, this isn't so bad. And then with 20 miles to go to the finish, it's all going to change. Well, Paul, Paul here has been to Belgium. <laughs> what? Yeah, and it's a running gag, Bart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but all I'm going to say is, to me, this stage kind of represents a Belgian classic a little bit. He's, Maybe I'm wrong. He's been, he's been, just on his phone this entire time, t- staring at at race profiles and stuff <laughs> well, like that. <laughs> the thing is, his pants. Because is I'm not doing. racing pro one two. Yeah. These are kind of like benign. I mean, I'm I'm listening, but uh, you know. Yeah. So, but what I did find interesting though was the the Aubrey Butte circuit that you actually chose time as opposed to laps. What was the thinking behind that? Well, so if you've looked at the course, it's a completely different course. And this has been driven by a couple of things. Uh, we've had a lot of road construction in the Bend area. And one of them was a big project on OB Riley. That is the one of the main drags that the, the old Archie Briggs uh, um, course or the Aubrey Butte course used. The other pieces, they're just starting to build, rebuild the Mount Washington and Shevlin roundabout. So these are two major projects that, that we ran into, um, we kind of went to the table with the city and we were like, hey, we, you guys can still do, you know, the Aubrey Butte circuit race, but you're going to have to cut here. And, and we might not have Aubrey, we might not have OB Riley open in time for you. So that put a lot of, uh, you know, just unknown to us. So we went back to the drawing board and I said, can we do something on Aubrey Butte that uh, can be a smaller circuit and that we can kind of keep it you know, really local and, and see if this can work. So we did, we, we, we tried a lot of iterations and I think we finally came up with one that I'm really excited about. And, you know, we may only use this this year because, you know, construction is going to be fine. We may go, go back to the Aubrey Butte circuit of old, but this is a really a great opportunity for us to test something that I think Ben needs. It's, it, it's, it's the circuit race. That's kind of like from hell. Uh, you know, it's like the Stillwater trip. You know what I mean? Like, it can all be decided in two hours. Right? Bart, I don't I'm, care. You could have a two-minute lead, and you crack on this one, and you're done. Bart, this is a, this uh, is a true just, circuit race. This is this thing is freaking hard. Like, I'm looking at hard. this thing. Yeah, yeah. like. What, what is the lap? Lap is it like five and a half miles, five and a quarter miles? It's about just about five miles, and it's about, I think it's 500-something feet of climbing, which doesn't sound too bad, but most of that comes you know, in a mile and a half section, there's a lot of fast descending, some technical descending. So their groups are going to have a hard time coming back together. You've really only cho- um, you've chosen the a only lot hard- of, you know, it's all yeah. through the neighborhood. So there's a lot of places for us to get, like, I think this community involvement with barbecues and parties and just, you know, and cheer on guys and gals who are going to be suffering. I mean, it, it's no, not an easy, not an easy final day at all. Well, I'm looking to getting one lap in in that 45 minutes by the <laughs> procure. <laughs> so I'll just go. We're kind of guesstimating 15-minute laps. So I think a 45-minute race, wow. you're probably looking at three, maybe three and a half laps because we actually start at the bottom in the college and just go up right away. Uh, so, you know, we've got the times. The reason we did the times on this and not distance is because we're not sure, like, if a group takes 20 minutes to do a lap and we put them out for four laps, we're going to be behind schedule. So we we're really, you know, trying to keep things tight on Sunday. Um, you know, the pro men are racing for two hours, the pro women 90 minutes. So not a long race, but long enough on this course. They I, won't, they won't be begging for uh, more. I, I just don't want to be pulled. Like it's a crit. That's all. <laughs> you, I, dude, that's my danger of being laughed. <laughs> yeah. Getting laughed. <laughs> I'm going to say keep rolling around, keep keep pedaling. You'll be fine. You chose really the only real climbing route in Bend in the city limits. You know, Bend is generally fairly flat. What's that? I wanted to bring it to Bend. Like, yeah, let's have it in town. Let's have this kind of like a almost. You know, if it was a little bigger circle, you could call it like a world climb. I think I think this is much more challenging than Aubrey Butte's been in the past. More challenging than it's, it's been. more challenging. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Yes. Oh God. Uh, you know what? I, I I really don't mean to to downplay anything, but I uh, Paul and I talked at length about the both of us going, and and everybody in this room knows my current physique, and I'm I'm really glad I'm going to live vicariously through Paul Maine on this one. <laughs> Cause it just sounds epic, man. 
It's great. And I love that you're being that you're able to bring stuff into town. A lot of stuff we're seeing in cycling right now and in my personal opinion part of the the elements that are killing the sport is the fact that we're being shoved into the outlying areas of town. We're being shoved into the the places where we will have the least amount of impact upon traffic or upon locals. Um, is this just a Ben thing? Maybe that that you guys are fortunate enough to get the the city behind you and and all these allowances to be within the city limits. You know what's funny about that course is whenever I presented it to the city, they were like, "Wow, this looks." I mean, obviously we had to have the support of Aubrey Butte residents, which we have had a, a, an amazing amount of support, and we've come up with a lot of great plans to to move people around and get them out of their houses and do keep things moving. But the city in general is like, you're not going to be on Mount Washington all day. You're not going to do that. Oh, my God, this is like a thumbs up. You know, so it was really I think we came up with something creative that worked within the city and it didn't shut down any major arteries and it didn't impact people that way. Right now, we still have to prove the concept of can the neighborhoods, you know, really embrace this and see this as, hey, this is a day for for Aubrey Butte to celebrate, you know, that we have a world class event you know, coming right by our houses and, and really embrace that with, you know, like I said, barbecues and parties and such, which we have a lot of people on board to do that. So, um, you know, we're hoping for good weather and everything. So that really kind of, you know, plays into the whole, whole festivities. And I, I was really surprised, but the city definitely, you know, has been working with us and they like the idea. So somebody made the point a couple of minutes ago that um, bike racing has been moving kind of out on the fringes um the crit did move away from downtown but i'm gonna say that i think the crit course is fantastic now that over under thing that you got going and um you know there's actually some climbing in it now it's not just a boring four corner crit it's it's got some real spectator potential and it's got some real drama potential and probably fewer crashes yeah, the crit um, is, you know, one of that. I mean, that's the festival day uh, for the community. That's Saturday. And it was a really tough decision to move away from downtown because of, you know, kind of like that's what people really um, have, you know, remembered the Cascade Cycling Classic about. But I think with Carson, what Carson said is it was pretty boring from a racer's point of view. And what we wanted to do is we really wanted to bring the community into this event. And doing it downtown was impossible. There wasn't any, enough parking. There wasn't infrastructure for expo. We didn't have room to put on a strider course. We've got this high school grand prix going on for the middle school and high school kids. Uh, we've got community rides. We've got a gravel ride leaving from the start finish line and coming back and finishing. We've got three bands playing, you know, throughout the day, starting in the afternoon and going till nine 30 when the pros finish. So it is a, starting at 9 a.m. and ending at 9.30 p.m., this is a cycling festival, which couldn't have been done in downtown. And we found a great location. We've got the pavilion. We've got some great infrastructure in place to really make this grow into something, I think, that could redefine the Cascade Cycling Classic. So uh, this is a day that I definitely am super excited about. Okay, let's talk briefly about the TT. Um, you know, I done this tt course a few times um i wouldn't call it as challenging as tt's in the past at cascade but uh it's definitely and it's eddie which i think is really interesting um can you speak to what you think the tt is going to do to the overall standings and what eddie means oh yeah <laughs> i think you know the TT has obviously only – it's only for the amateur categories. Actually, the pros don't have a time trial this year. We had some ideas for the pros, and they just didn't uh, – we just – timing and logistics-wise could not make them happen this year. So we're going to move those onto a plate for next year. But for the amateurs, we did want to have another stage. You know, we wanted four stages in three days to kind of give them their money's worth. And, you know, this is uh, a time trial. It does have – it's kind of half – you know, flat, ha I mean, kind of gradual uphill and then, and then some kick to it. So, so time trial bike probably might be faster, but Eddie makes it a little more fair. I feel like for those coming from afar and, you know, making it more logistically possible for a lot more people, especially the juniors, we do have the USA cycling juniors racing this, and we really wanted to make it, I think not about the equipment, but about the racing. 
uh, and keep the racing as close as possible. My dream would be that every race on Sunday comes down and there's 10 or 20 people with a chance to win. And now you have the ideal mix for a really good final day because, you know, we're not just watching one person. We're like, wow, someone goes up the road. There's a lot of action. So keeping the race close to the final day is, is a real important piece. I love that you're making it, Eddie, because, you know, for people that can't afford it or can't afford to fly across the country with two bikes, um, you know, making everybody do it on a road bike is a great equalizer because in a time trial, equipment can, you know, can mean the difference between first and 10th place. And it's a, for sure. I mean, I've done the classic as a master and not had a time trial bike and almost been eliminated. Yeah. You know, just racing on my road bike and, you know, it, that's fine, you know, cause it's not a big deal to me, but it's like, man, like that's kind of like, that's the, that's a, it's a big difference in terms of like if I've spent, you know, five, six thousand, seven thousand dollars on my time trial bike. And I have that versus someone who doesn't have that. That's, that's a huge advantage. And so yep. we're, we were trying to make it a little bit more about the racing, the pure racing element. So I want to make one comment about the Cascade Lakes road race. And then I want to ask you about the junior race. Um, Cascade Lakes is, again, different than it has been in the past, and I love the way you're doing it. Um, it's a fantastic finish. Um, the fact that it's not going around Mount Bachelor like it has classically, that it's doing three trappers in uh, the reservoir, um, I guess I'm wondering how many laps, and I could, can you describe how that's going to go for the pros versus the other categories? Yes, yeah, so... So this is a, a re. What we wanted on the Cascade was there's a couple of factors here, right? Uh, if we have a big snow year, we're not sure if we can even race through around bats faster. So we looked at okay, what are the alternatives? We came up with this loop around uh, Crane Prairie and uh, South Century Drive, where we could actually it does have a sector of gravel. Uh, it's a small section, a couple miles, but it's slightly uphill, and it actually became another, like I said, a selection point. So you got trappers, you've got the gravel, and then you've got the climb to the finish, which in my mind, the way they laid out was better than trappers and then a long, you know, it, it just was a, a better sequence to the way the race hopefully will play out. The pros will actually do a multiple of those and, and they get in a full hundred miles. So, you know, they'll be climbing that and doing the gravel section twice. And they're actually starting in Monoga, so they have a climb out of the start. All of the other amateur categories start at Edison, and they have kind of downhill down to the, to the loop, and then they'll do trappers, the gravel, and then up to the finish. So, three again, three selection points that make the racing. Uh, and, and it also makes it so that, you know, like I think that, you know, the gravel, you get a pure climber, let's say, that, you know, weighs 120 pounds, 130 pounds. You put him on the gravel, all of a sudden that guy who weighs 150, 160, that puts out a little more power – kind of hurts that that little guy and um oh yeah this is like equalizer right like if you get some time on the gravel can you hold it to the finish because the, the climb to the finish isn't steep it's definitely about how many watts you know like you can kind of grind out that know, all depends on how much you weigh bart steep... <laughs> what's that that all depends on how much you weigh bart <laughs> but I mean, I think that there's opportunity in this race. I, I could see this race definitely being won by not a, not a climber. Uh, I think the trapper's climb isn't necessarily a climber's climb, and I don't think the gravel section is for a climber. It's about that guy who's got the power and maybe a little bit of guts to throw it on the line, especially the first stage, right? This is, this is get out there and do it and see what you can do because it could set you up for a really successful wrestling cascade. Okay, so we're running out of time. Can you just speak briefly about adding a junior race? Because that, to me, this is really important. This is how Pat and I met. Actually, um, I was constantly beating him as a junior, humiliating uh, him. Actually, happy yeah. opposite. Yeah. <laughs> well, when I took over the classic, my number one goal was to bring junior racing to the forefront and give opportunity to the juniors. I think this is a really big missing piece in psych in USA cycling. Um, if you go to Italy or you go to Belgium, you go to some, they have so many juniors racing in their races. And this is, you know, what's leading to them obviously having a very good 
um, you know, transition into, into all the rest of the sport. And we just don't have that. We don't have, we don't have very many races dedicated to juniors and we just don't have very many junior fields. So the idea is, can we build this from the grassroots up? We have to showcase them. We have to give them opportunity. Um, you know, and, and this is our first year doing it. We're getting the word out. I think we have a pretty good junior boys field really lining up. We're a little light on the girls, which is kind of the case right now, but you know, we're, we're working on that. And that's, that's what the other pieces of these other elements that we have, like with the high school single speed race and stuff is we're trying to introduce more kids to the sport and not just from a pure, like this is, this is a killer hard sport, but from a fun element. And, um, I'm really excited that, that the junior men's field is really developing. And I think it's going to be quite exciting. They're actually racing like, you know, in, in the crit, the right before the pro men and, and right after the pro women. So they are more showcased here. They're not, you know, early in the morning and then they're done. It, it, it's, it's a piece of a big piece of the race. That honestly warms my soul. I remember when you and I were on the, the podcast, when I first had you on and we were talking about the emphasis of junior racing and the importance of it and, and how equipment costs can cause mass chaos. And I am almost a hundred percent sure you were the one that came up with this, the idea of a, of a dream scenario where we could have juniors ride with a dollar limit on their bikes and just kind of level that almost to a NASCAR type of a playing field. And I thought that was such a great idea because this sport is being so monopolized by all of us older, older guys. And it, it, sustainability is, is the key. And we we can't do it unless we get kids excited and we get kids who are, who are highlighted in the, in those types of events. Mom, did you see me? I went right before the pros and then I got to meet the pros afterwards or something like that. Exactly. I mean, we're fortunate that, that this is a sport where we actually get to race on the same course as the pros, you know, I mean, all the categories, right. On Saturday race on the same crit course, on the road races, you're racing on the same place that the pros are. You don't get that in football. You don't get that in other sports. And we need to harness that. We need to capture that excitement. And we need to really give these juniors a place to shine. Uh, but also, like like you know, we talked about before, level the playing field somehow to get more juniors out there, right? Give them more opportunity to get out um, and – and not make it cost a fortune to to join this sport that we all love. Well, Bart, I, I'm excited for what's going on. I get, I've talked to some race directors, and you run into situations where people who are in it um, as a business standpoint, and they're in it uh, financially, and uh, it seems like you're approaching this. Sure, the, the, the classic has to make money. It has to at least pay itself off. But you're approaching this from the standpoint of a, of a cyclist, of a racer, of a competitor, of somebody who wants to build uh, an event that is exciting, that appeals to the community, and it appeals to the racers. So, God, man, Godspeed. Good luck on all this. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm very excited. We got a few more, you know, about a week and a half to wait, and we'll all see how it goes. All right. The dates of the event are May 29th through June 2nd. Bend, Oregon is the location. Look it up online if you have not signed up for it already. Is there time left? Oh, yeah. You can still sign up. Uh, we've still got about, I think, 13, uh, 12 days left to sign up. I think the a- amateurs can actually come and register, you know, right at registration. But for the pros, they, they have to register before uh, the first meeting, uh, which is the 28th. So. That's good no- news. I can wait to the last minute. No. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, I'll send <laughs> in my registration, Bart. In All right. <laughs> well, Bart, thanks Thanks again for coming on the show, and thanks for your time, and, and thanks for your efforts you're putting forward. I don't mean to over-melodramatic and putting melodramatics into things, but uh, thanks, thanks for keeping this race alive, and thanks for uh, working to build the sport. Well, I appreciate the time you put me on, and I hope to see all you guys down here. Take care, man. And just like that, the first of this two-part episode, yes, two parts. We are actually in the studio, and we had the opportunity. I had Paul and Karsten. We had a live Skype account, so we got two episodes cranked in in one short session with a couple beers. First session, you just listened to Bart Bowen, Cascade Cycling Classic, happening. You can still sign up. You can still hurt yourself in a very beautiful way, or just get your butt over to Bend and do some watching and some bike racing. Our second episode was with Anna Mariah Rook, who is a 
pretty darn impressive journalist and especially an expert in the women's cycling world. She has a perspective and an opinion on a lot of very important things that are happening in the world of women's cycling. She's currently at the Amgen Tour of California covering that event and one of the sole sources of really good information about that event. So be sure and check the things that she has to say out and you can check that on a double uh, episode. I've got it listed on your iTunes feed, your Stitcher feed, your Spotify feed, or if you just go to the website and you're going to see both of those episodes. There's not going to be a a long of an introduction on that episode because you've got part one right here and you're going to go to part two there. Besides, if you can't tell, I am nowhere near the studio, hence this beginning and ending audio are not quite as good because I'm leaning right into my laptop and I'm saying all this stuff as best as I can. Hopefully you'll forgive the audio quality of these sections for the part that's the important part, the shows themselves. Go check it out. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 